Welcome, everyone. It's a beautiful Sabbath day here in our part of the world. Hope it uh, is the same for you. Understand it is uh, the same for our friends over in the UK and in the eastern side of the US. It certainly is a blessing and a pleasure to be together again on this beautiful Sabbath day. We've come to the end of another week, a tumultuous week for some, a tenuous week in various parts of the world, as we know, with uh, election cycles going on. And uh, but it is the job of God's people to remain faithful, and, we, and so we gather today on the Sabbath day. So very grateful for the blessings of God's truth and his Sabbath. Today is the 20th day of the eighth month on God's calendar. We are a mere 139 days from Passover, and this is a, a service brought to you by the Burlington and Ottawa congregations of the Church of God International. And we welcome our, our friends and brethren from around the world. We'll open services with one of our brothers from the Ottawa congregation, Peter Wilcox, to open us in prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer, brethren. Uh, Abba Father, we thank you for this day, this day of rest uh, that you set forth a long time ago, Father, for us to cease in our works and to focus on you. And we invite you in this fellowship today, Father, uh, and we invite ourselves into your fellowship as well. So, Father, we uh, ask for uh, the blessing on the message today, that it may inspire all the brethren that are listening around the world today. We pray for the technology, that it will work wonderfully, uh, but most that the message rings through to us all. So we ask for the blessing on uh, our brother, our dear brother, Jan, and uh, that you uh, may inspire him throughout his message. And uh, we we thank you for all of the things that you do for us. We, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your understanding. And uh, we thank you for your grace. Um, and we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua. Thank you, Brother Peter. We now will move to our first hymn. And as we sing these hymns, do take uh, uh, note of the words. Uh, each hymn that we sing is very meaningful. And in these tenuous times, we are we are blessed to know that we have a mighty fortress in our God. So we will sing page 147. The hymn, the words from the hymn will flash on your screen. We'll sing, a mighty fortress is our God.
Thank you for joining us on that hymn. What a uh, meaningful words as we sang through them. I was thinking of them. They're, they're very meaningful. Appreciate the opportunity to sing together with you. We'll now go to our scripture reading. We're brought to us by a brother from the Burlington Congregation, Brother Dylan Swan, who will read to us from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in, given us in Jesus Christ before the world began, but is now made manifest by the, by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For thee which I also suffer these things. Nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dylan. I recall a hymn that we sing that uh, reflects that last verse you, you, you read. Before we get to the next hymn in the sermon, we just have uh, one announcement, actually. That's all we really have today, and that is the weekly Wednesday Bible study. Uh, if you uh, missed it this past week, uh, Pastor Adrian went through the book of Philemon, the letter to Philemon, actually the letter to Philemon, uh, his wife, the elder, and the house church that they were all a part of, the, the, the church in Colossae. And uh, that will lead us into the uh, Bible study this week. And for the next few weeks, we'll, we will be covering the book of Colossians. So do join us on Wednesday evening at 730 for the book of Colossians, as well as uh, Pastor Bill Watson is also doing the Bible study on the book of Daniel on Thursday evenings at 8 p.m. And you can find that on the church on the actually the website that you're on right here, churchonline.org. So please uh, do tune in uh, for those two studies and you and uh to catch them in the archives if you don't get the chance to do that. We will now move to the next hymn. The next hymn will be on page 117, Through the Love of God Our Savior, All Will Be Well. And that's a promise that we have from God. Through the love of God our Savior, all will be well. Following that, that hymn, we will go directly into the sermon given to us by our brother and deacon from the Burlington Congregation, Jan Kowalczyk. He will be speaking to us about what is God's grace all about. What is God's Grace All About by Deacon Jan Kowalczyk. Before that, the hymn, Through the Love of God, Our Savior.
Hello, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another Sabbath service here coming from Burlington slash Ottawa congregations. And as always, thank you for being so faithful and joining us week after week. We appreciate your presence. And obviously, we are very grateful that we can serve you in some capacity, in some level. So here is the title of my message, What is God's Grace All About? I would like to start right away. I would like you to open your Bible. In Gospel of John, chapter 1, Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 17. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17. This concept, it's grace, it's floating all over in Christianity. But, as a matter of fact, it's just so little understood by most of them. So let's start here, let's begin here. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, this chapter 1, it's fully loaded with so much information that, you know, it's very difficult to to capture it, to imagine it, just to what Apostle John is trying to tell us. But just one verse here. One verse here in verse 17. And read very carefully, because people come to a different conclusion by reading this verse. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So many people come to a so-called natural conclusion that everything, the Old Testament, especially the Mosaic Covenant, everything was about law, law, law. But the New Testament, it's all about grace, grace, and grace. Or in other words, the Old Testament, was low focus, but the New Testament is absolutely grace deal. And some people go even further. They would say that this concept of grace was not even mentioned in the Old Testament. The concept of grace was revealed through Jesus Christ. And this is absolutely not true. If you go with me to Second Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. The scripture that was read today by Brother Dylan. Let's just reread it again. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul is writing here to a young Timothy. We'll come back to the scriptures one more time towards the end of my message here. But let's just read it. Verse 8. He's writing to write Timothy. He says, please do not be, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And I have to stop here for a moment. I know you've been following the Bible study about the letter to the Ephesians by Pastor Agent. But if you were not, I would strongly recommend that you actually go and visit anywhere. You can find it on CJAP, you can find it on CGIORG, you can find it on YouTube. But once you go to the start of this great letter of Ephesians, you go into a detailed line-by-line study. But what is so amazing, what caught my attention when he was doing his Bible study, is this word that we just read it here. The Power of God. In, in actually, Ephesians is actually is referred. Paul is saying that as exceeding 
exceedingly great power. Not just the power, but exceedingly great power. Okay, exceeding great power. Look at verse 9. To this power, to this exceedingly great power, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before time began. I don't know, but if you just, just, just the few verses that you read, that are so packed with so much information, you know, we need to take it apart. We need to take it apart because there are some, as we mentioned, just, just a single like power of God, exceedingly great power of God. What is that? So I'm not going to spend on this power of God, but you can revisit the Ephesian Bible study. But let's talk about, you know, what does it supposed to mean? Like, what is to save us? What is this word save us? Salvation. Save from what? What is that supposed to mean? You know, the calling and grace and all these words that we read as we read its text. And many people, we think we understand what it means. But when it comes to that, we meet a stranger and we try to explain in our very basic term what the grace is all about. We just don't know how to do it. Or in opposite way, if we get into a technical discussion when it comes to the scripture, you know, we are stuck. Sometimes we have no idea what scriptures to use and what scriptures not to use. But let's unpack this thing. Let's define some terms. So what is salvation? If you ask people on the streets or people who actually believe, genuine, genuine people who believe in some kind of a Christianity, what is salvation? I can guarantee you that you will get different answer from every different individual that you ask. But how would you define a salvation? You know, I gave a sermon years ago about this topic, going into a detail, but I'll just get a quick review here. And you can study on your own, you can revisit and archive some of the messages there. But what is salvation? So let me tell you right away. You might be surprised if you heard this for the first time. Salvation is a process. What is that supposed to mean? If a process, it means it's not a one-time event. As you probably healed in your life, some people say, yeah, I was saved, let's say, like uh, 10 years ago. Some people, remained exa- uh, some people remember the exact date, the hour, where let's say they were baptized or something else happened. They said, oh, you know, at this day, at this time, at this moment, at this hour, at this minute, I was saved. To some degree, to someone, it's true, but not necessarily. So salvation is a process. It's not a one-time event. What is the objective? of God's process of salvation. What is his objective? And then we come across the whole definition. The objective of the salvation is basically twofold. One, deliverance from the penalty of sin, deliverance from the penalty of sin, and second fold, deliverance from the power of sin. We're like, Jen, what's the difference here? There is a difference. So let's say you can, you can be pardoned for your crime. If somebody, let's say, can take a death penalty from your, that's hanging around your, around your head or above your head. But you're still going back to the environment which is full of sin. I will come this to this a little later, but let me just repeat it. The objective of salvation is deliverance from the penalty 
and power of sin. Now, as I talk in my sermon before, people in my congregations, in our congregations probably remember, but there are three stages to salvation. So salvation, you can divide, there is a beginning. If it's a process, it has to have a beginning. And salvation, if it's got a beginning, it needs to be an end. So in this case, if salvation is a process, what's the beginning of salvation? The beginning of salvation is a term, is a legal term, which we call justification. Okay? Every salvation, your personal salvation, collective salvation, starts from a point, starts from a moment, which we call justification. When he came to Christ, when he went in the water of baptism, when he come up, this is the justification time that you know your sins were forgiven. So we call it justification. What is justification? The simple definition in a, what, what, how would you define it? Justification is basically, basically a pronouncement to clear the guilty. At this moment when you come up, you're just not guilty of any violations of God's law. You're not guilty anymore. The death penalty has been taken. From you. So every process of salvation starts with justification. And also every process of salvation ends at the end and the term that we call glorification. Glorification. And glorification, your salvations will end eventually, one, when you die, when you died in Christ, or when Christ returned and put the end to this age. So basically, at the end, when you'll be resurrected, when you're going to come up with a new body, that will be the end process of your salvation. Whether it be personal or collective, that will be the end. will be defined at the end of it through this process that we call glorification. Now, between justification and glorification, there is a one and long and lengthy and difficult and a painful process. And Bible calls this process sanctification sanctification and this is the one of the most important process because nuts we are engaged into the process right now every single one of us who's baptized who was justified who's waiting for glorification we go through this process that we call justification if you just go to first thessalonians chapter four first thessalonians chapter four i'm just going to write a few verses here first thessalonians chapter four and verse 3, we're going to read from 3 to 8. But just pay attention specifically, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Look what Paul is writing here. He says, verse 3, For this, for this is the will of God. What is this will of God? What is it? It says, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessels in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage advantage of, of the fraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we also forewarn you and testify, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So reject this process, this process that's called sanctification. You not just reject man, you don't just reject your pastor or your teacher or your preacher, you reject God, God himself. So basically when we're talking about, uh, when we talk about 
this process called sanctification is the time when God is trying to, we're on the process of perfectness. God is trying to make us holy through this process. So we learn a lot. It's a difficult process, but without this process, brethren, without this process that we call sanctification, it'd be very difficult for us to become the first fruits. We have to learn a lot, specifically, not just how to obey commandments, which is, first and all, everything, but how to love one another. That's the whole process. Now, why I'm going into such a detail, I was supposed to talk about grace. Again, if you don't understand the basic doctrines of the Bible, we'll have a very difficult time to explain what grace is all about. So this whole process of salvation is impossible without God's grace. Let me say it again. This whole process of salvation is impossible without God's grace. It is impossible to understand God's grace if we don't understand God's love. Think about it. It is impossible to understand God's grace if we don't understand God's law. God's grace on one hand and God's law on the other hand complement each other. They can be separated. Just what Christianity tried to do. But let's say, you know, long time ago when you believe in dispensations, that you know, long time ago there was a dispensation of first covenant dispensation of Moses, but now let's say we Christians live in the dispensation of grace. And these spirits are totally separate from each other. It's impossible. It's impossible to put the scriptures in the Bible together if we're going to view this process in this way. So, when we talk about God's law, that's another statement that I'm going to make. If you want to talk about God's law, we have to include the judgment, or the other way, is the penalty of the laws. So in order to do this, we need to understand what the sin in the Bible is all about. You see what I'm trying to accomplish? I'm trying to talk about the grace, but first we need to understand what salvation is, how this process looks like. Now we need to understand God's law, and especially the penalty that are associated with breaking God's, especially associated with breaking God's commandments. Okay? So, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, you don't have to go there, but just write it down. It is an interesting scripture that brings up, breaks up this category, this category of this, this sin into three categories. And in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew scripture, sin can be divided into three categories. And it is very important to know that. And we'll see why a little bit later. Okay? What I'm talking about. If you read the scripture, you know, it says here, it mentions in one scripture, in one scripture is mentioned all three categories. And there are sin, transgression, and inequity. Sin, transgression, and inequity. And as I said, it's very important to understand the difference between them. And it's very important to understand the penalty associated with breaking each of one of them. Okay? It's very important. So, I also gave a sermon about the three categories of sin a long time ago. You'll probably still find it in the archives if you want to go into the details. But let's hear, let's, let's, let's just quickly, quickly just define them in a few minutes. What is sin? Basically, sin in English 
can mean anything, but it's not so in a Hebrew Bible. Sin basically in Hebrew, sin, it means basically missing the mark. And the Hebrew word for sin, it's chata. C-H-A-T-T-A-A-H. Okay, chata. C-H-A-T-T-A-A-H. Now, this word can be defined in many different ways, but you will see the meaning is the same. So, this chata, sin, can be defined as habitual sins of human frailty. Also, secondly, can be defined as slipping away from where he should be. I can also be saying that it also can mean erring from the path on which God puts you. And can also be, you know, defined as, let's say you are not achieving a standard that God has set for you. And also, as I said, it's just a missing the mark or missing the path. But of all these categories, when it comes to the punishment, this is on the light side. We all miss the mark big time. Every single one of us. No excuses. We all miss the mark. Even Bible says that we are all sinners. Okay? Now, the second category is a more, more serious one. So after the sin is the transgression. Okay? So the Hebrew word for transgression is pasha. P-E-S-H-A. P-E-S-H-A. So, violation, when you say you transgress God's law, it's much, much worse than a sin. Chata. In some cases, transgressing the God's law was equated with that penalty. And the simple meaning of transgression is revolt against God's government revolt against God's structure. And if you're not careful, transgression, if you transgress God's law over and over again, it can lead you to the permanent bondage. And transgression can be called in the Bible, in English Bible, as a trespass. And trespass is a willful. Transgression and trespass let me let me highlight this thing so we can see it. It's a willful, willful violations of the law. In terms of sin, can be just sin of commission and omission. Some things you might not know. You might be guilty of breaking God's commandment. You might not even be aware of it. But in this case, in the case of transgression, it's a willful violation of the law of God. A willful. You fully understand, but willfully, you go and you do something that you know, on purpose, you're breaking a God commandment. Let me give you an, an example, a practical example here. So you mentioned a sin. So let's say sin first mentioned sin. So let's say sin would be like, a, let's say, uh, you're speeding on a highway. It depends what level, you know, it depends how much you were speeding over. But basically, it's just this, let's say, you just go a little bit over the speed limit and you get caught. You might end up, you might end up with, a, let's say, verbal warning from a cop, or you might get a ticket. So, it's a serious violation, but it's not as serious as, like, say, crossing the intersection on a red light, or not stopping on a stop sign, right? So, I just want to show you the difference, right? Now, transgression is a willful violation. So, let's say, you know you're not supposed to steal, but let's say you decided, you go and you steal. And then, you try to find some kind of 
justification for your actions. And you know, we as a Christians very good, very good at it. You know, you know, government is stealing so much from us, so I have the right, I have the inherent rights to steal from the government, right? That's just just the example. Let's go to the last one. Inequity. Okay, what is inequity all about? The Hebrew word for inequity is avon. A-D-O-N. A-D-O-N. And it, man, and it means perversity. Moral evil. So, if you're at this stage, the inequity is not just a tendency to do wrong, a tendency just to make a mistake. Inequity is a perversion of the truth. Okay? And in other words, inequity is like attitude. If we are at this stage, we no longer care. If you are at the stage of inequity, we no longer care about what's wrong and what's right. What God does allows and what God does not allow. We just don't care. We just want to live our lives according to our own standards. And basically, we don't have any more moral compass. What's right and what's wrong, we just absolutely don't care about. Now, as you will study the Hebrew Bible, there is no such thing that you can repent from inequity. There is no animal sacrifices that would cover your inequity. The only way to replace inequity is a heart replacement, or let's call it a brain replacement surgery. It can only be done through the power of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's go to Psalms 51 and look at the example of David in this psalm. We will run through some of the sins here and we will see what David, what, to what conclusion he comes as he realize how sinful he is. Psalms 51. Look at verse 5. Psalms 51 verse 5. That's how David's writing. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you decided true in the inward parts, and in the hidden part will make me to know wisdom. And he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken my rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all my inequities. How God can do this thing? And David knows he's right. Create in me a clean heart of God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So David fully realized how dangerous it is if you fall away from God's commandments. And especially when you come to the last stage. You know, all of us, we come short. We miss the mark. We come short of the glory of God. Most of us, every single one of us. There's no exceptions. No one is perfect. Many of us, all of us, at one point or the other in our life, we're transgressed. But God ever forbid, if any of us will walk away and find yourself in a state of inequity. God forbid that. Now, 
what would be the practical example of inequity? You know, like, it will be like a treason against your own country. So let's say you spy. Somebody gives you a little monetary gift and you just don't care about your country. You're just selling off your people to some other power, foreign power. And you're happy to do this because you're going to increase your bank account by X number of dollars. So your moral compass is basically God. So I hope that, brethren, so far we can have a better understanding of what salvation is all about. We can better understand the sin and especially the, the power, the penalty of sin that's holding us back. And let me put all of this thing that we cover about the penalty, the, the different category of sins in a more practical way. So let's again, let's say, let's look at sin. Sin is like a having a chain attached or hanging around your ankle, which you will constantly will hinger. You know, no matter where you try to go, you'll have to pull it with you. It's like an extra weight added thing. So this sin, this, you know, around your ankle, you know, will trip you, will slip you. Many times you'll miss the mark. It will slow you down, considerably will slow you down. And over the period of time, if you're not going to care of this thing, if you just say, you know what, I'm just going to go through life like this, eventually you'll be overwhelmed by it. Eventually you'll be tired by it. And eventually you'll find, you will look, for a simple way to get out of it, and usually that's where we make a mistake, we're looking for a shortcut. Once we look for a shortcut, we'll say, let me just transgress a God's law here a little bit, or here a little bit, and then everything will be fine. It doesn't work like that, but I'm just trying to explain you the correlation between these three different categories, right? So once we tempted to take a shortcut, we might fall into the transgressing of God's law, more serious transgression. So we might commit adultery, we might steal, okay? We might, who knows what, we might even turn our back to God. It's, a, there are a lot of categories that we can fall in. Now, if we break God's law time after time after time, if we transgress it, you know eventually what's going to happen to us? And especially what's going to happen to our conscience? We'll just kill it. And our character will start to change. And as our character will start to change, you will see our attitude will change. We just won't care about God. We won't care about God's law anymore. We just want to do what we want to do. And then we're going to find ourselves, not even knowing, we'll be in the state of inequity. We'll just defile our character, defile our heart, and we'll be far away from God as east is from the west. That's basically will be the practical explanations of these three different categories of sin. And again, why do I spend so much time talking about sin? Why is this so important? Because, brethren, we don't study Bibles hard enough. We have a hard time to, you know, explain, especially the Hebrew Bibles, the Torah, the sacrificial system. If we don't understand it, how can we explain the grace of God that he has given to us? Okay? Now, most people don't realize, but in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices, the animal sacrifices did not cover the more serious sins, the more serious sins of transgression or inequity. There was not. This is important because some people think that no matter what law you broke, you can just take an animal, you can walk to the tabernacle, or you can walk to the temple, and the priest is going to make atonement for you. 
No, no, no. That's not the case. It's not the case whatsoever. Let's go to Exodus. I will give you an example. Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21 verse... I'm just going to just, just give you a few examples about this, some, some, some transgression. They are punishable, punishable by death. Okay? Exodus chapter 21 verse 12. He, he who strikes a man, verse 12. Exodus chapter 21 verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So you strike somebody and that person dies there is no way that you can ever be forgiven under the Mosaic Covenant. It's not like you say, hey, wait a minute. No, no, don't kill me. I want to go to the temple. I want to bring my sacrificial animal. And I wanna, I'm going to confess my sin and everything will be good. And high priest or priest going to make atonement for me. No. It, it can't work like that. Once you commit any of the major crimes, especially the crimes, the sins that deserve a death penalty, it's over. It's over. Your name is blood out. You die. You turn into a dust. Even though you might get lucky. I will use the term lucky. No one will caught you, but God will know. Once you die, you might, let's say, you might retire still successfully, you know, committing all the crimes. You're still like, wow, you know, I'm such a genius. But this is it for you. Once you go underground, this is where you're going to be staying. Only judgment and the punishment forever and ever. Let's look at some other here. Just skip down to verse 15. And again here, verse 15. And he who strike his father or his mother, you don't even have to kill them, just strike them. Okay? If you just disobedient to your parents, that's a death penalty. I'm very serious. That's what it says in the Bible. Verse 16. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. If you engage yourself into human trafficking, there's no repentance for you. According to the Mosaic Covenant. According to the sacrificial system. There is no blood, any blood anywhere that can cover your sin. And verse 17. And he who curses his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. This is serious. And you can't repent when you do such a thing. You can't repent it. So again, if you commit any of the sins punishable by death penalty, there was no chance for repentance or forgiveness. Once you die, you die. There is no hope for you. So we say, you know, what about the Leviticus, Levit- Levitical offerings there that were happening all the time? What about it? I cover, I covered most of it when I was doing the sermon about the last, not the last one, I was talking about the atonement. There's no, there is no, there is no tabernacle without atonement. Well, let's just quickly, let's just quickly, if you missed it, if you didn't watch it, or if you're new into this broadcast, let's, let's just review it quickly. So we have a better understanding what sin is all about. Leviticus chapter 4. Just quickly, we're going to just go quickly to the, to the text. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1. Look what it says here. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sin, and if you look at this Hebrew word sin, will be the first one, the category, that we say sin is a chata. Okay? That will be the Hebrew equivalent here. So this sin, the sin chata, if a person sins, look at the next word. How would you describe this? 
if a person sin unintentionally, basically, if it's not intentionally, then you can offer a sacrifice at the altar and be forgiven for it. Okay? Skip down to verse 13. And again, now the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally. Verse 13. Unintentionally. Again, you can offer an animal and be forgiven for it. Verse 22. When a ruler has sinned, and again, we've got to check the Hebrew words. It's chata, the same Hebrew word, right? Sin unintentionally and done something unintentionally. And again, we can go on and go on. Verse 27. If any one of the common people sinned unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments, where is it here to the sacrificial system that you're going to find something that you've sinned intentionally, you can receive forgiveness? Where are you going to find it? It's nowhere. It's absolutely nowhere. Chapter 5. Verse 1. If a person sin, the same word, Hebrew word, what was before, chara, in hearing the utterance of an oath, and is a witness, whether he has, well, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. But if a person touches an unclean thing, whether it is the carcasses of an unclean beast or the cast carcasses of a clean livestock, of a carcasses of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, when an uncleanness with which man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. So as you go through all of this thing, what does, what does the Bible tell you? You can get forgiveness for unintentional sin. Okay? You can get forgiveness for this. Now, some people would say, not knowing what the Mosaic Covenant is all about. Okay? Not knowing this. Some people make statements like this, and I heard the statement. That on the Day of Atonement, listen carefully. On the Day of Atonement, all sins were covered. What do you mean all sins were covered? The unintentional as well as the intentional. What sins were covered? We'll come back to this thing. We'll come back. Just hold this thought in your mind. Let's go to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. And I've done this recently, but I just want you to be aware of this thing. Be aware of sin sin, and how dangerous it is to be at this stage. How dangerous it is to be to be involved in a sinful behavior. God is really, really serious about it, and so is Christ. Okay? Verse 30. Numbers chapter 15, verse 30. But if the person who does anything presumptuously, okay, whether he's a native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people. And because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. What kind of sacrifice this person, if he sin intentionally, if he transgress God's law willingly, knowingly, what can you do under the Mosaic covenant? 
nothing. As I said, you may be lucky. You can escape. You might not have a witness. But in God's sight, you're done. You may live prosperously for, let's say, 10, 20, 30, 40, who knows how many years. But in God's eyes, you're as good as that. That's it. So let's go back to the Day of Atonement. Some people say that on the Day of Atonement, all sins were forgiven. No, it can be. It's not in the Hebrew Bible. It's nowhere mentioned in the Torah that can be forgiven. But to cut, to cut the time, let's go to the Hebrew. Okay, let's go to the Hebrew. Hebrew chapter 9. Let's investigate it, if it's possible. Hebrew chapter 9. Hebrew chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses here. We start at verse 6. Hebrew chapter 9 and verse 6. Read very carefully, because all this thing is about the Day of Atonement. Okay? We'll read it. Verse 6. Now, when this thing had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Okay? Now, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. It doesn't say here, but we know it. If we, if we just understand a little bit the Hebrew scripture, we know this is a day of atonement. Then only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holiness once a year on the day of atonement. Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in what? And for the people's sin committed in ignorance. This blood would cover you for all the sins that you commit in ignorance. Not the sins that you committed for sanctions. This is the word of God. You can run away from it. Now, when the word of God tells us, and it's so obvious, that we are all sinners, every single one of us, no exceptions, that we are all sinners, we should understand now the magnitude of the statement. Okay? When God is telling in front of your eyes that you are a sinner, we should be able now to understand the magnitude of the statement, okay? How many of you can boast that we did not commit any sin deserving the death penalty? No one, okay? We are all guilty before God. Every single one of us has a death penalty hanging around our heads. There is nothing I can do There is nothing you can do in this entire universe to reverse this process except, except through Jesus Christ and God's grace extended to you. Okay? What is this grace? The simple definition would define it. Just before we go to the definition, let me give you a few more here reviews here. Why we spend so much time talking about salvation? Remember what I say about salvation is all about? Salvation is a process, right? Remember, salvation is a process which involves justification, sanctification, and glorification. 
It's not a one-time event. The whole objective of this entire process, the whole objective of this entire process, the entire process of salvation is what? Deliverance from the penalty of sin and deliverance from the power of sin. Now, what is the definition of grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward man. That's what more dictionaries would say. That's what more theologians would say. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't agree with that. Grace is a loving gift from God. How does it work? Okay. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Book of Acts, chapter, chapter, chapter 17. Book of Acts, chapter 17. Here. And I want you to keep in mind, because we're going to touch the scriptures here in this book. This is Apostle Paul speaking, okay? Apostle Paul, he's speaking here, and Luke is recording. Apostle Paul is speaking, and Luke is recording. recording. I'll tell you later why this is important a little bit later. Book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. So here, speaking in Greece, actually in Athens, the capital of Greece, one of the most popular, uh, the most important city, one of them, other than Rome, in the Roman Empire. This is Paul, what he's talking, breaking into the context, verse 30, look what he's saying here to, to them, to all this philosopher that he was addressing. He's saying, truly, these times of ignorance, ignorance, God overlooked. But now, commands all men everywhere, no exception, to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Hold on. If there's going to be a day which he's going to judge mankind, to what kind of standard he's going to judge the mankind here on this planet? What kind of standard he's going to judge them? According to what? According to God's law. Most, every single one of them, every single one of us was guilty at one point or the other, deserving the death penalty, deserving to be out of existence. But let's keep reading. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Wow. What a concept. It's a totally strange concept to the Greek audience. But as we can see, some of them believe a little bit later. Now, just go back to chapters here. Chapters 13. Okay? Book of Acts chapter 13. And here, Apostle here in verse 14. Book, book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 14. But when they, when they departed from Pergia, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. On a Sabbath day and sat down. And now, as we're reading, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, 
the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of his exhortations for the people, say on. Okay? And then Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And I wish I could go through this whole chapter. It's the narrative that goes through the Bible from the beginning to the end. If we understand the narrative, it's so easy to understand everything that falls out of this thing. But let's just give some verses here. So, you know, you can read it on your own time. I'll just, we'll see. I'll just decide as, as, as we go on which verses we're going to read. It says in verse 17, For God of his people, Israel, chose our fathers. God made a choice, not man, okay? Who are we to question what, what choice God made, right? God chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Question. Were they all Israel each Egypt? Were all of them very obedient people to God? Were they a commandment-abiding people who really, truly care about their own God? No. Then how come that God actually liberated from the land of Egypt and gave them a freedom? By grace. He extended their grace. Why? Because he made a covenant with forefathers, with Abraham. That's why God extended grace to the nation of Israel. What a loving God he is. Just keep reading. And now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. He put up, and you know how horrible it was, this 40 years in the desert, right? All the generations that was there, the rebel against God, what happened? They died. And Paul is saying here, and Paul is saying here that, you know what? God put up with this. Because he said, the younger generations, why? Because of grace, right? And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed the land to them by Lutman. And after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Have you following the study of the book of Judges? How horrible it was. And for some reason, God was loving and patient. And forbearing. Extending his undescribable grace. Because of something that he made a promise. Wow. And just keep reading. We can skip down to verse 32. Or verse 30. Now he's talking about Christ. So verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. He has seen for many days. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise, which was made to the fathers, okay, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalms. And we go quickly to this Psalms. Please study this chapter on your own when you're going to have your time. Please study it, but you're going to go quickly. Look, he's quoting in many, many Psalms, you know, and look what he says. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And verse 34, and that he raised him from the dead 
no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus. I'll give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in other Psalms, you will not only, you will not allow your holy one to see corruptions. And verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his father, and saw corruption. But verse 37, but with whom, but he whom God raised up, saw no corruptions. And here comes the punchline. If you've been paying attention, if you understand the mosaic law, the first covenant, here right there, and look, look what it says in verse 38. Therefore, pay attention, brethren. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. In what way? You know, if you were a Jew, I think you're like, I have my sacrificial system, right? It should, I, should, I should receive my forgiveness through my sacrificial system. How? Keep reading verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes, who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Wow. You could not be justified by the law of Moses. What things you could not be justified by the law of Moses? A lot of sins. They could never ever be forgiven about. And why these people should have the first knowledge, full understanding about Mosaic law. They all should come to the conclusion that I am not worthy. The sacrificial system doesn't work for me. I am corrupt. I need forgiveness. Father, how am I going to receive this forgiveness for my sins? Who's going to bring me back from my death? They should realize that. And they messed it over and over again. And we, in Christianity, we're missing this mark too. We separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. Every single Bible is divided like that. Okay? We say, now we live in the day of grace. So the law doesn't matter. Really? The law doesn't matter. And I wanted I make a comment that that was Paul speaking and Luke was writing. So Luke had a first-hand understanding of Pauline theology. Okay? He got it. He understood Paul. He wrote this book, the book of Acts. He wrote what Paul was speaking. And Paul was a rabbi, very highly educated. He connects the dots. He can lead them to the history and say where they, where they fell. And what they need to stand up again. They refused. But Gentile wanted to hear the next time. It's crazy. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to stick to the poll now for some times, okay? Romans chapter 3. Verse 9. Romans chapter 3. Now, let's just, brethren, combine all this knowledge that we know. We understand what salvation is all about, right? The difference penalty for sin. The different categories of sin. You know, what is salvation? What can be forgiven after the Mosaic Covenant? And what couldn't be forgiven under the Mosaic Covenant? Let's bring everything into the light. Okay? If you have this basic knowledge, I think, I, 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 at least it works for myself. If you have this basic knowledge about the sacrificial system, about the Torah, about whatever happened there, it's so much easier to understand the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, 
You know, it's not like a, there, there are two different writings contradict each other. Absolutely not. They perfectly explain each other. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 9. Here Paul, Paul breaking into the context, you will see soon what he meant. But what then? It's a question mark. He says, what then? Are we better than they? He says, not at all. Why? For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. What is that supposed to mean? No exceptions who you are. Every single one of you is under the death penalty. You have nothing to boast about. You can be a pure Jew, you pure genetic code, and you say like, yeah, I'm a child of Abraham. The death penalty is still hanging around your neck. Or around above your head. No exceptions. You can't escape. God's law, it's God's law. God's law never changes. God's character never changes. It's been like that. It's going to be like that. It will never, ever change. And for some reason, in a Christian world, he came up with the idea that, you know, oh, this was an all God, you know, all God, all Father, who is just waiting to, get, you know, just get people punished for their sins. But now we live in the age of grace. And, you know, as long as this grace is free grace, we can do whatever we want to do. This is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. Just keep reading. And as it's written, Look what is written. He's quoting here. He's quoting here, but look what is written. There is not righteous. No. Not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. They have become together unprofitable. There is none who does good. No. Not one. Don't pride yourself to the Jew. That you know, you're circumcised. You're a child of Abraham. You're dead. You have the death penalty. And there is nothing in the system, there is nothing in the covenant that can bring you back to God and reconcile your relationship. There is nothing except Jesus Christ. Except Jesus Christ. And skip down to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the penalty of the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world might become guilty before God. Therefore, therefore, and it's not true, whether you're a Jew, Israelite, no matter where you are, what part of the globe you're listening to this message, or what nationality you might be, Every single one, we are guilty before God. And we have no excuse. There is nothing that we can justify by ourselves, right? Nothing. Therefore, Paul is saying, if you so proud yourself by keeping God's law, he says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If you keep the law outside of Jesus Christ, what kind of justification are you going to find there in the Torah? What kind of justification is you going to find in the Torah that would justify it that say, you know, Father, I bring this animal and, you know, I sacrifice and, you know, this blood is going to cover my, my sins, punishable by death. What is it? It's not. You should know of all these people, you Jews, you Israelites, of all these people, you should know the best. But you did. And you still don't. But it's a purpose of God. And now, 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So you who claim you are so much educated, you should be, you know, flipping through the pages and say, like, wow, Father, I, there is no hope for me. You know, I think I am a, I am a good, you know, obedient person. You know, I try to, I strive to do the best according to your law. But I still fall short. What's going to happen to me? Father, I still love you. I still believe in you. Is there a hope? Is there a chance for me? How are you going to get me out of this situation? Show me the way. How I can do this thing? All these questions. Help me to understand the prophets. But it didn't happen. Verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed, by the law and the prophets, you know that God comes with some totally new concept, like some Christian, some Christian, you know, believe. This grace is a totally new concept that only comes through Christ through the New Testament. It's not truly, it's not truly right. Just keep reading. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Whether you are in Christ or not in Christ, that's all that matters. Okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. No one can boast and claim, I earned my salvation, Father. I deserve. I am entitled to have eternal life. You have no choice by grant me this. You don't have this right. We can claim it. You can claim it. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Wow. Writing about. He's very well educated. Christ explained to him every single detail about the scripture. Revealed to him. And verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time. His righteousness. His justification. Not yours. That he might be just. God. That he might be just. And the justifier of the one. Who has faith in Jesus. So. If I was a Jew, and look at the, all these promises that were made to Abraham, and I studied the covenant, Jose covenant said, there's no hope for me. I doomed. But God made a promise. And how is he going to accomplish this promise? How is he going to work out this promise? How is he going to work out this process that we call salvation for the Jew first, and then for the Gentile? What a great plan. What a brilliant plan of God. So that God can be just and justified to him, everyone who believes in Christ. Now, let's do another few more verses from this chapter 27. So there's the conclusion. What is boasting that? What can, you know, how can I glorify myself here? can I am the mercy of the Father. What is boasting that? It is excluded. But what kind of law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith 
apart from the deeds of the law. The law cannot justify you. The law will inform you what a horrible sinner you are. But faith, but faith, faith through Christ can bring you a true justification and reconciliation inside of God. And what a blessing it is. What a blessing idiot it is. So, let me, I can't stress it enough, but I have to say it, I have to say it again. There is no possibility of grace, listen to this very carefully, there is no possibility of grace if there is no law. Let it sing into your head. There is no possibility of grace if there is no law. If God or if Christ had abolished the law on the cross, okay, if God had abolished the law on the cross, the entire world right now would have become sinless. Think of it for a moment. The entire world, if Christ with his death and crucifixion, okay, abolished the law on the cross, the world right now would have become sinless. What are you talking about? Because where there is no law, there is no transgression, right? Let me go a little farther with this concept. Okay? If that's the case, if that's the truth so that most of Christianity believe, Think about that. This would have decriminalized, decriminalized all sin and made all mankind legally perfect. Did you catch it? If that's the truth, okay, that law was done away. Let me say it again. This would have decriminalized, decriminalized all sin and made all mankind, mankind legally perfect. What I mean perfect, I mean not guilty. There is no law. No one can find you guilty. If there is no speed limit on the highway, how can you get a speeding ticket? It's just impossible. Now, and imagine the horror story coming out of this. If I become legally perfect, even though my heart, my mind is not regenerated, is personally imperfect. Doesn't make sense, right? Just doesn't make sense. What was the definition of salvation? Remember? The objective of the salvation is not just deliverance from the penalty of sin, okay, but also from the power of sin. The American president has the power under the United States Constitution of executive clemency. I don't know if you ever heard of this. Executive clemency. What is this all about? It includes the ability 
to, a, to pardon a person convicted of a federal offense. President has the power in the United States. He can let anybody free out of jail if that person was convicted by federal offense. Imperfect person can be granted a grace by the presidents of the United States. And it's happening every time. And especially each president in the last month when he's in his office. Thousands of people get free from jail. Thousands of people. You can check it. You can Google it. Now, how about our God? As a creator of the entire universe, does he have the right to exercise his loving grace to whoever he wants? Even more than that, he will not only left the death penalty, but he will become, he will help us to become sinless like his son. It's just one thing to take, take a death penalty off your head, but leads you through the way that you're going to learn the way of righteousness and you become sinless as his son. What a concept. That's what the plan of salvation is all about. This is what is God's grace all about. It's not a cheap grace. That you know there's no responsibilities. You know like, hey, I have this grace and I can do whatever I want. No. Let me finish here. I have just two more scriptures. But I have to go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And that's something that caught my attention as Pastor Agent was going through his Bible study about this book. And it's such a marvelous book. You know, open so many different ways in my understanding, specific, not just grace and other things, not just the exceedingly great power that is offered to us through God. I didn't even realize how powerful this thing is. Okay? Now I know. But look at this thing, okay? Now we are all understanding what we covered so far here in my presentations here. Let's put everything to work here in Ephesians chapter 2. And you will see how powerful it is, how powerful it will become. Ephesians chapter 2. This is how apostles here in verse chapter 2, verse 1. This is how we started. And you, okay? You, you, me, every single one of us. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wow. In which you once walk according to the course of this word, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Taking your death penalty off your head is one thing. But to eliminate the power of sin is another thing. God's plans of salvation is still at work. It has its beginning and is moving forward to its end. And God will accomplish. God will accomplish what he promised. God will accomplish everything what he promised. Verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature Children of wrath, just as the others. So, that's what our past. Every single one of us, this was our past history, okay? This is who we were. 
Now let's let's talk about presence, okay? There is a shift now, verse 4. But God, okay, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, this great power, this great love, which he, with, with, with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is our presence, brethren. It's not over yet. This is not over yet, okay? And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Is this happening already for us? No, not yet. Will it happen ever? Yes, according to Paul. And all the people, we can trust Paul. We can trust the Bible, right? We gonna be about the power and principality that's governed this universe. We'll be just like Jesus Christ. Free from the influence of all the sinful behavior, and specifically from Satan the devil. Verse 7. And in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. We don't even now know, we can't even imagine what is awaiting for us in the future. Because we are limited. We are mortal body. Sinful to the core and sick. For the future. And verse 8. Just in keys, okay? Just in keys. If you get too much excited about this future, okay, Paul wants to bring you a little bit down here. He says, for by grace, okay, remember where you come from. from. For by grace you've been saved, through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. What are, as a mankind, what the greatest gift you can ever get from anybody? Like this gift. Jesus Christ. That offer us salvation. Eternal salvation. Praise God for that. Now let's finish here. Let's go to the same scripture that we started at the beginning. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter. Second Timothy chapter 1. And again. The context of this letter. right? Now he's writing to young Timothy. Young Timothy. He was very faithful to his teacher. Very faithful. And here it says in verse 6. The second Timothy chapter 1 verse 6. He says, therefore, I remind you, Timothy, I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the lying on of my hands. You are called to the ministry. Stir up the gifts. Every single one of us Okay, we have some kind of a gift. Steer it up. Steer it up while the time is still, you know, available. One day this window, this opportunity will be just shut down. Okay? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. What is this power? This exceedingly great power to be above the, you know, all authority, you know, about the prince of the air and everything. Just what a power it is. Okay, by power, and of love and of a sound mind comes to verse 8. Ask your results of this thing, okay? Your gifts and everything and the power that was given to you, verse 8. Do not, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Please do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. 
let me stop here, I say. I promised myself that I'm not going to be speaking about the elections, but I have to talk about here a little bit about the elections. If, you know, if you're suffering, you think you're suffering because, you know, one man was not elected or the other, okay? If this you're suffering, you're suffering so hard, you know, you're ready, you're angry. Something is wrong with you. Because you have, you should, you're supposed to have this passion here for this power. Not the power that comes from the office of the American president. I'm not saying this is not important. This is hugely important. But for you, for the first fruits, this is what you'll be caring about. This is where it should be your passion going all the time. This is my kingdom. This is my savior. This is the grace I was saved. This is my chance, one lifetime chance to be about every single thing, about the power, authority, the princes and everything. This is my chance. What are you doing with this? Are you ashamed? You're not ashamed to go on the streets and protest one way or the other. Are you ashamed to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or you are ashamed of the, the writing of the Apostle Peter or Apostle Paul here in this case? If you suffer, if you suffer for any of the political reasons, okay, unfortunately, but that's the way of the man, okay? But if you suffer, if you, specifically when you suffer for the gospel of Christ, blessed are you, your reward will be huge in heaven. Something that we can't even comprehend how huge it's going to be. And verse 9, who has saved us and call us with a holy calling, okay? Save us from what? We understand, you know what? We now understand how difficult it was to be justified by the law of God during the first covenant. We understand, but he saved us. He called us. We are holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before the time began. Think about it. Before all of this thing started, Jesus Christ committed himself. He says, yes, Father, I will go and I will re redeem this human being. I will go and I will redeem my nation, Israel, from something from the point there is no return. Okay? And you see, if Satan could understand this thing, just think for a moment. If Satan could understand in the details the plan of God, you know what he could have done? If Satan would truly understand what God is about to do with Jesus Christ, you know what he would say? We know what he would do? If Satan would just protect Christ from any, from any death penalty. Just think about it. If Christ would, if Satan would use all his resources to say, this man needs to die naturally on his own. He cannot be killed. He needs to die on his own. He wouldn't have a Savior. He missed the point. He thought by killing him, he's doing himself a favor. But it's actually by killing him, he did us a favor. Grace was given to us. Verse 10. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What a powerful statement if we truly understand that. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentile. And verse 12, one of our famous hymns. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep which I have committed unto him until that day. May God bless you all, brethren.
just don't worry what's happening. You know, have passion. You know, have energy for Christ, for his kingdom, for his gospel. You know, and do what you're supposed to do. Elections will come, elections will go. We know it's not going to get better. We know it's going to get worse. If you have to, if you have to suffer, suffer for the gospel. Don't suffer for political reasons. May God bless you all. Love you. Take care. See you. See you here next week. Wow, brother, that was a profound, profound message. And what an ending. What an ending. Satan should have protected Christ from crucifixion, and then we wouldn't have had a savior. What a, what a uh, deep, deep message. And I hope uh, everyone gets a chance to go back and listen to it again and, and follow the, follow the thought structure. It was, it was uh, uh, deep and profound. Thank you for all your work in putting that together, brother. Uh, I wish we could go to page 55, but uh, that's not what was planned. We're going to uh, finish on page 189, which is let others see Jesus in you. But before we do, we're going to close in prayer and then go into the final hymn, which is on page 189, let others see Jesus in you. And as our brother uh, just mentioned, uh, we'll see you here uh, next uh, Sabbath at 2.30 and hopefully uh, Wednesday evening at uh, 7.30 on the Bible study. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you for all those that uh, served in this service. And again, to uh, you, uh, Brother and Deacon Jan, for such a profound message. Let's close in prayer. And then page 189, let others see Jesus in you. Father in heaven, we are just so humbled to be able to gather together before your throne. That in the the depths of, of your word, we have a more profound understanding of of your grace and the grace of Jesus Christ and all that you did to allow us to come to this point in our lives as we look forward to the continuing fulfillment of your plan. We, to say thank you wouldn't be enough, but it's it, these words are all that we have, but we are just so very indebted to you. We, as we, we hear your word expounded today and the, depths of the plan that you had for us so that you could redeem us, so that we, your people, can live in eternity because of your profound love and mercy that started back in creation, proceeded through Abraham, through Moses and on down. We are so, we are so, we are so grateful for this. We ask you now as we dismiss these services to go with us individually, collectively, we ask you to help us to keep our heads about ourselves as the world crumbles around us, as as we know, according to your scriptures, it must, that society must get to the point where, where it needs Jesus Christ to come back to save it from destruction. We, we are so blessed to know these answers. We are so blessed to have insight into this. We just ask you to give us courage in these times as, as we see laws change around us that prohibit the, the, um, communication of this message. We ask you to, to give us courage to continue on in faith, to continue on with steadfastness. We thank you for your servants. We thank you for your servant that spoke today. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ and for all that he went through and that you went through as was expounded today to bring us to this point. Please dismiss us from here. Go with us the rest of this week. Help us to have a productive week. Help us to 
serve according to our gifts to serve each other and to serve you. And we just are so very, very grateful that you reached down and called each and every one of us and gave us your Holy Spirit and cleared us of our sins through this very deep and meaningful sanctification process. We thank you. We honor you. We love you. We ask this all in the name of our elder brother and King Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen.